This morning, please, uh, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And we'll just read a few verses together. <clears throat> Reading from verse uh, 32. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Particularly verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. All the great sportsmen and women uh, will freely tell you that whenever they get to the very, very top of their profession, that the one thing that makes all of the difference to their game, to their sport, is confidence. Confidence. All the long hours of training, all the discipline and sacrifice, all of those years of experience can come to a grinding halt whenever they lose their confidence. In fact, you'll have noticed, those of you who are sports-minded, watch it on television perhaps, that almost all of the top athletes and sports people, uh, apart from their physios and their dietitians, their coaches and trainers, almost all of them today have a sports analyst a kind of a sports guru that gets into their mind because they have all of the talent and all of the ability and they have won before. So it should be no problem. But it becomes a problem when they lose their confidence. And having lost their confidence, nothing seems to work. All of that natural ability and all of that technique and training, all of it just seems to go out the window. And how often have you seen a sports personality, maybe a footballer or a golfer or whatever, and they, they, they dip in confidence and their whole game just nosedives and they go down the rankings. It takes confidence to hit that winning putt or to score that vital goal. It takes confidence to make that final jump that just may get you into a medal winning position. But all that can leave you very suddenly when you lose your confidence. The Hebrew Christians here had endured a lot of persecution uh, since they had got saved. He said, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. And so they had suffered lots of persecution. 
and he had borne it for a long time. And even when he had lost lots of their material goods, perhaps their jobs, their livelihoods, their professions, because they were Christians, even when they had lost all of that, uh, they had confidence in the promise of heaven that they, everything they had ever lost, <laughs> they would regain much, much more benefit and blessing when they get to the glory. However, by the time the writer is writing to them here, he's greatly concerned that they are about to, and some had, about to cast away their confidence. And so he's warning them. He's encouraging them. Do not cast away. Do not throw away your confidence because that's what casting away means here. It means throwing away your confidence and it means deliberately, knowingly, consciously actually ditching, throwing away your confidence, what you believed in, what you had hoped for, what you trusted in, throwing it all away. In fact, in verse 25, some had stopped coming to church altogether. And so it tells us there uh, that we are to hold fast our confidence, not to throw it away. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, where it tells the story of Jesus hitting blind Bartimaeus. In verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Note this, verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. The same word is used here as casting away your confidence, as throwing away his garment. Why did he throw away his garment? Because he didn't want anything to hinder him, to impede him making his way to Jesus. He wanted to get there as quick as he possibly could. And that garment was going to hold him back. And so he cast it away deliberately, consciously, knowing what he was doing. Threw it away. He didn't want any more of it. He had been held back long enough. It was time to rid himself of that garment and to move quickly. Perhaps that's what some of these Hebrew Christians was thinking. Maybe they felt they had waited long enough for a breakthrough. It seemed to be that some of them had come to almost breaking point. And all of their faithfulness and all of their 
effort and all of their discipline and all of their trusting and all of the believing the promises and all of that they had faith in, all of it. At this point, they were in grave danger of casting it all away. Maybe feeling it's held them back long enough. Life has stood still long enough. And instead of things getting better for them, things were actually getting worse for them. And so they were in danger of ditching their confidence, of packing the whole lot in and opting for an easier life. How many times over the years have you, I've, I've listened to people saying, I'm going to pack the whole thing in because times were tough. They're going through a difficulty. And it seemed like instead of getting better, it was getting worse. It seemed to be they have trusted and trusted and held on and believed and read the Bible and come to church and do everything they're supposed to do. Instead of things getting better, they get worse. So they got to the place says, that's it. And they want to cast off their confidence. But the writer here urges them, he says, no, don't throw away your confidence. Whatever you do, don't cast it away. Keep believing the promises. Keep trusting the Lord. You will be richly rewarded. There is great, as the AV says, great recompense of reward. Don't throw away your confidence. What have you been believing for? What have you been trusting for? What have you been standing on the promises for? Maybe it's been a long time. And instead of getting closer to it, you seem to be getting further away from it. In those times, the devil will come and whisper in your ear, it's useless, it's hopeless, you might as well just pack it in. But I encourage you today, do not throw away your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. See, in their confidence, at one time, obviously, they had openly, boldly shared their faith. That's why they're coming under pressure and persecution. They didn't light their candle and put it under a bushel. They stood firm and boldly declared that they were believers in an unbelieving world. And the fact that they were Jewish believers made it doubly worse for them. No doubt many of them had lost their families. People turned their back on them. People no longer do business with them. By the way, that's still going on today around the world for believers. So they had declared the promises. They had spoken the word of God. But now they had lost their voice, at least in danger of it. In danger of not declaring and confessing and speaking the truth that they knew. It was easier just to keep quiet, just to refrain from speaking the word of truth. It's not always easy to walk the walk of faith, particularly when you can't see anything tangible for what you're believing in. You know, the, the Hebrew Christians especially, you know, they had to walk a walk of faith. They had to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, they no longer, like the rest of the Jews, they no longer had a temple to go to. They no longer had that ritual that had been brought up in, that had been so real to them, all those uh, rites and rituals and ceremonies, all that was gone for them. And now they had to walk simply by faith, seeing nothing, trusting in Christ whom they had never met. 
They had no high priest, only the one that was in heaven. And that's wonderful and exciting. But when you come under pressure and you're getting persecuted and things is going bad for you and everything seems to be against you, it's much more difficult then to walk by faith and not by sight when there's nothing tangible to hang on to, only the naked Word of God. And so he's saying to them, do not cast away your confidence. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, the AV says the profession of our faith without weaving, without wavering. So the confession of our hope, the profession of our faith, it's basically saying the same thing here, depending on which translation you read. Now the word confession or profession here is homologia, homologia. And it's from two words put together, homos, meaning some. Sorry, meaning same, beg your pardon. Meaning the same. Uh, we get the word homosexual, people who are attracted by the same sex, the same. This is what it means, the same. And then logos, meaning words. So homologia basically means saying the same things, speaking the same words. Now, not just repeating the same things, are saying the same word. Not just repeating it. Anybody can repeat something. But actually believing it, knowing it, agreeing with it, being in accord with it, aligning up with it, assenting to it. And having done that, then speaking it with our mouth. That's what it means. Reading God's word, looking at the promises until they become something that you really believe in, wholly believe in, totally agree with, come into accord with, then you confess it with your mouth. So it's not just repeating it. So it's not merely just repeating words out loud. It's believing it in your heart, then confessing it with your mouth. So he said, let us hold fast the confession or the profession of our hope or our faith. Let us hold fast to that because there's going to be a great recompense of reward if we do. Now when you read Scripture, there are a number of people who were in danger of casting away their confidence. In John chapter 1, In verse 19, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. But when they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? 
What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah nor the prophet? John answered and said, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. So here is John. Well, let's read on. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. He remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me unto baptism to baptize with water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now here's a man with great confidence, declaring with his mouth what he believes in his heart. There is not a doubt about it. He knows God has spoken to him. God has shown him clearly, and he's confessing it, he's professing it publicly and boldly, declaring, this is the Son of God, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Luke chapter 3. Speaking again of John, verse 3, He went into all the region round about the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. See how he was professing and confessing that very prophetical word about his own life? Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And so he's very, very strong, isn't he? I mean, would you say this is a man full of confidence? Would you say this is a man who believes what he's saying? Absolutely he does. Now as it goes on, verse 15, Now as the people were in expectation, all reasoned their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to you all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done 
also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. Then in Matthew 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And so very obviously, now you see a man who has lost his confidence, in danger of losing it completely. It's slipping away. He's not sure anymore. He's not as bold as he was. He's gone through a tough time. But listen, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Mm. And they departed. And Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out and see out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those who were born of woman, there is not a risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him here. You know, I think whenever that word went back to John, what Jesus said, there's no doubt in my mind that his confidence began to arise. That that boldness, that that certainty, that that absolute assurance of who he was and what he had been called to do and what he had actually done was right, correct, It was a call of God. And I believe that was a great encouragement to John the Baptist. Peter was a man who was extremely bold, super confident. (laughs) Trouble was his confidence was mainly in himself, wasn't it? Very confident, very bold. Very verbose in his statements. <laughs> when others kept quiet, not Peter. <laughs> I mean, he would just run off at the mouth at every opportunity. Whether he was asked the question or not, he would give the answer. That was just what he was like. Well, some say, well, maybe that's great leadership qualities. Maybe it was, but it needed a lot of refining, didn't he? A lot of honing, a lot of hard edges need to be rubbed off. And so there he is, boldly declaring... 
<clears throat> you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> and he was right. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? <laughs> For anybody can answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know, at that moment, he was absolutely right. And it wasn't just coming from him. Because Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, what he's saying here, hey, listen, it's not just something you thought up. It's not just something you were mulling over and it just came out. This is a revelation from my Father to your heart, and you have declared it. And he was absolutely spot on. He was right. What confidence he must have had at that moment. What assurance that God, Almighty God, would speak to him, and he could declare it, and it would be right. But we know what happened later on. When the stuffing was knocked out of him. And all that confidence in himself. And that was Peter's big part of his problem. His confidence was more in himself than it was in God actually. But when all that self-confidence was knocked out of him. And he stood there warming his hands at the fire. Watching Jesus being tried. And the wee lassie said to him, aren't you one of them? What did he say? I know not the man. <laughs> what a confession that was. And what a profession to make. I know not the man. Here's a man with absolutely zero confidence. It's gone. It's gone. Cast away. Thrown away. Aren't you glad that Jesus met him on the seashore that particular morning when he's at his low ebb and he came back from that wee expedition they had and see Galilee. And Jesus made a barbecue on the beach for them. They took him aside three times. He said, do you love me? The time Jesus had finished with him. His confidence in God. His confidence in Christ. Was returning. Was rising up again. And of course he went on to be. The great apostle Peter. What a mighty man of God he became. What a fantastic evangelist and preacher. Thousands and thousands of people giving their life to Christ at his first sermon. Jeremiah, chapter 20. Jeremiah was a great prophet. Trouble was, <clears throat> everybody he prophesied to 
the whole nation, kings, nobody believed it. Nobody wanted to hear it. In fact, it made them angry. Made them so angry. Imprisoned him. They beat him. They hated him. Despised him. How'd you like to be a prophet? How'd you like to be a preacher and everywhere you went and everybody you preached to hated your guts and despised you? I didn't believe a word you said. That'd be a bit discouraging, wouldn't it? How do you think that would help your confidence? I think you begin to think, I'm in the wrong job here. I think I've missed the boat. Somehow or other, I thought I was called to be a preacher, but I doubt it because nobody, nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody wants to hear anything I've got to say. Well, that must have been how he felt. Because he got a wee bit upset in chapter 20, verse 7. He says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I, and I and have prevailed. Lord, you taught me into this. You really did. I am derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Now, to be fair, he didn't have a very positive message to preach. <laughs> and people doesn't like it when you beat them over the head. But it was God's word. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. <laughs> now here's a man verging right on the very precipice of ditching his confidence, of saying, God, I've had enough. I'm done with it. Who needs the hassle? Who needs the trouble? Many a man and woman of God has walked away and said, I don't need this anymore. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of people. I've had enough of God's word. I've had enough of church. I've had enough of this stuff. I am off. Finito. Finished. It's over. That's the position he got to. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But, and it's a big but, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. <laughs> he got to the place, even though he was at the verge of just giving the whole lot up and saying, that's it, I'm finished, God, I'm through. And he, I don't know how long he was like that. Hours, days, weeks, months, who knows. But for a while, that's how he felt. And then he'd go to his bed at night, and he couldn't sleep. Because the Word of God was like a fire shut up on his bones. And no doubt he got up and walked around the floor in the middle of the night and thought, what am I going to do? I, I don't want to deliver this, but I, I, it just keeps coming up. It just keeps coming again and again and again. I've got to do so. I've got to deliver this. It's like a fire shut up in the bones. And he did deliver it. And he got his confidence back. Elijah was the same, was he not? On Mount Carmel, that great moment in his life, that high point when he challenged all the prophets of Baal, 
God came through for him, called fire down from heaven, burnt up the offering, the whole nation looking on. What a moment. How high was his confidence? That was high as the heavens at that point. Couldn't have been any higher. Greatest moment in his life. I mean, all the miracles that preceded this was nothing in comparison to this. I mean, this was in full view of the nation. And he killed 400 prophets of Baal with the sword. But then shortly after that, that very day, within hours, Jezebel threatened him. And suddenly, suddenly, his confidence nosedived. And fear began to grip his heart. And disillusionment. Because later on, he says, I was the only one left. There's nobody else cared about you, God. There's nobody else sticking up for you in the whole nation. Of course, he was wrong on that, because God had 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal or kissed him. But that's what he felt. And there he was, running as far as way as possible from the place he should have been. And he got away down to Beersheba. If you look at the map, Beersheba is as far as you can go in Israel. And not only that, he went out into the wilderness of sin. And there under a juniper tree, he said, God, it is enough. I've had it. Take away my life. Take me home, Lord. I'm done with it. See, it's useless. No better than my father's. Nothing worked. Look at all we did and nothing has changed. Where was his confidence at that point? Rock bottom. About to cast the whole thing away. (laughs) But then the angel of the Lord came. I preached on that some weeks ago. The angel of the Lord came. And blessed him, and strengthened him, and encouraged him. And he got up again. And he went and anointed kings, and anointed a prophet in his stead. You see what the writer is saying to these Hebrew Christians? Do not cast away your confidence. Don't do it. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. It is great recompense of reward, verse 35. What wonderful rewards God has got in store for those who keep hanging in, who just will not give up. You know, there's something about endurance and patience and hanging in and holding on. There's something about that that pleases the Lord. Because there's going to be those times when we'll be tested. Absolutely. No question about it. And whenever you come through that and you trust and you believe and you don't give up, it pleases the heart of God. It really does. And He rewards it particularly. Especially when you don't cast away your confidence. You might know everything that's going on. You mightn't feel anything. You might feel feel at times like giving up, but you don't. You keep holding on, and you keep trusting the Word, and that confidence keeps coming. 
God, this book is true. This word is real. Does the pace seem slow? Does it look like it's never going to happen? What does he say in verse 36? For you have need of endurance or patience or perseverance. It's all the same. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Did you notice where the fight comes in? Did you notice where the battle commences? After you have done the will of God. Not before it, but after you have done the will of God. When you have done what you're supposed to do, and you believe what you're supposed to believe, and you confess what you're supposed to confess, and it still hasn't happened, that's where the battle is, isn't it? But you have need of patience, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. But now the just shall live by faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let me just read this. We're going to close here just in a second. But let me just read this to you. The beginnings of the Sudan Interior Mission, or SIM, as it is known, were marked by failure, discouragement, death, and despair. Yet one man, Roland Bingham, would not give up. In 1893, Bingham, along with Walter Gowans and Thomas Kent arrived in Lagos with a passion to evangelize sub-Sahara Africa. But they were told, young men, you will never see the Sudan. Your children will never see the Sudan. Your grandchildren may. They nevertheless began an 800-mile track into the interior. But in less than a year, Gowans and Kent were both dead. Bingham returned to England stunned and uncertain. My faith was being shaken to the very foundation, he wrote later. Why should those most anxious to carry out the Lord's commands and give his gospel to millions in darkness be cut off right at the beginning of their career? Many questions faced me. Seven years passed, but eventually Roland Bingham established a Sudan interior mission. And in 1900, he once again started for Africa. This time he stopped by a li- this time he was stopped by a life-threatening bout of malaria. His companions, daunted, sailed back home. But Roland himself had no choice but to return to England. It would have been easier for me, perhaps, if I had died in Africa. For on the homeward journey, I died another death. Everything seemed to have failed. I went through the darkest period of my whole life. But, but, he wouldn't give up. In 1901, he made his third attempt. And this one was more successful. And it resulted in the first SIM station in Africa. Today, SIM is an international mission organization with more than 1,800 missionaries serving in more than 43 countries and five continents and three islands in the Indian Ocean. Because one man would not give up. Even though his confidence 
was at rock bottom. But he got it back. And he wouldn't give up. And he went on and did a fantastic work to this very day. I know I've read it to you several times before, but I'll read it in closing. Written anonymously. It's called Winners Never Quit. You know it, don't you? When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're treading seems all uphill, when friends are far and problems nigh, and you want to smile but you only sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but never quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometime learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up if the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often a goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have won the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to a golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out the silver tint in the cloud of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It is nearest when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. <laughs> hmm. Do not cast away your confidence wherein is great recompense of reward. Let's pray.